Part three of the fringes of the fleet by rudyard kipling this librivox recording is in the public domain part three patrols chapters one and two be well assured that on our side our challenged oceans fight though headlong wind and leaping tide make us their sport to-night through force of weather not of war in jeopardy we steer then welcome fate's discourtesy whereby it shall appear how in all time of our distress as in our triumph too the game is more than the player of the game and the ship is more than the crew be well assured though wave and wind have mightier blows in store that we who keep the watch assigned must stand to it the more and as our streaming bows dismiss each billow's balked career sing welcome fate's discourtesy whereby it is made clear how in all times of our distress as in our triumph too the game is more than the player of the game and the ship is more than the crew be well assured though in our power is nothing left to give but time and place to meet the hour and leave to strive to live till these dissolve our order holds our service binds us here then welcome fate's discourtesy whereby it is made clear how in all times of our distress and our deliverance too the game is more than the player of the game and the ship is more than the crew chapter one on the edge of the north sea sits an admiral in charge of a stretch of coast without lights or marks along which the traffic moves much as usual in front of him there is nothing but the east wind the enemy and some few our ships behind him there are towns with m p s attached who a little while ago didn't see the reason for certain lighting orders when a zeppelin or two came they saw left and right of him are enormous docks with vast crowded sheds miles of stone-faced key edges loaded with all manner of supplies and crowded with mixed shipping in this exalted world one met staff captains staff commanders staff lieutenants and secretaries with paymasters so senior that they almost ranked with admirals there were warrant officers too who long ago gave up splashing about decks barefoot and now check and issue stores to the ravenous untruthful fleets said one of these guarding a collection of desirable things to a cross between a sick-bay attendant and a junior rider but he was really an expert burglar no and you can tell mr so-and-so with my compliments that the storekeeper's gone away right away with the key of these stores in his pocket understand me in his trousers pocket he snorted at my next question do i know any destroyer lieutenants said he this coast's rank with them destroyer lieutenants are born stealing it's a mercy they're too busy to practise forgery or i'd be in jail engineer commanders engineer lieutenants they're worse look here if my own mother was to come to me beggin brass screws for her own coffin i'd i'd think twice before i'd oblige the old lady war's war i grant you that but what i've got to contend with is crime i referred to him a case of conscience in which every one concerned acted exactly as he should and it nearly ended in murder 
during a lengthy action the working of a gun was hampered by some empty cartridge cases which the lieutenant in charge made signs no man could hear his neighbour speak just then should be hove overboard upon which the gunner rushed forward and made other signs that they were on charge and must be tallied and accounted for he too was trained in a strict school upon which the lieutenant but that he was busy would have slain the gunner for refusing orders in action afterwards he wanted him shot by court-martial but every one was voiceless by then and could only mouth and croak at each other till somebody laughed and the pedantic gunner was spared well that's what you might fairly call a naval crux said my friend among the stores the lieutenant was right mustn't refuse orders in action the gunner was right empty cases are on charge no one ought to chuck em away that way but damn it they were all of em right it ought to have been a marine then they could have killed him and preserved discipline at the same time a little theory the problem of this coast resolves itself into keeping touch with the enemy's movements in preparing matters to trap and hinder him when he moves and in so entertaining him that he shall not have time to draw clear before a blow descends on him from another quarter there are then three lines of defence the outer the inner and the home waters the traffic and fishing are always with us the blackboard idea of it is always to have stronger forces more immediately available everywhere than those the enemy can send x german submarines draw a english destroyers then x calls x plus y to deal with a who in turn calls up b a scout and possibly a squared with a fair chance that if x plus y plus z a zeppelin carry on they will run into a squared plus b squared plus c cruisers at this point the equation generally stops if it continued it would end mathematically in the whole of the german fleet coming out then another factor which we may call the grand fleet would come from another place to change the comparisons the grand fleet is the strong left ready to give the knockout blow on the point of the chin when the head is thrown up the other fleets and other arrangements threaten the enemy's solar plexus and stomach somewhere in relation to the grand fleet lies the blockading cordon which examines neutral traffic it could be drawn as tight as a turkish bowstring but for reasons which we may arrive at after the war it does not seem to have been so drawn up to date the enemy lies behind his mines and ours raids our coasts when he sees a chance and kills sea-going civilians at sight or guess with intent to terrify most sailor men are mixed up with a woman or two a fair percentage of them have seen men drown they can realize what it is when women go down choking in horrible tangles and heavings of draperies to say that the enemy has cut himself from the fellowship of all who use the seas is rather understating the case as a man observed thoughtfully you can't look at any water now without seeing lusitania sprawlin all across it and just think of those words north german lloyd hamburg america and such things in the time to come they simply mustn't be he was an elderly trawler respectable as they make them who after many years of fishing had discovered his real vocation i never thought i liked killin men he reflected never seemed to be any o my duty but it is and i do 
a great deal of the east coast work concerns minefields ours and the enemy's both of which shift as occasion requires we search for and root out the enemy's mines they do the like by us it is a perpetual game of finding springing and laying traps on the least as well as the most likely runaways that ships use such sea snaring and wiring as the world never dreamt of we are hampered in this because our navy respects neutrals and spends a great deal of its time in making their path safe for them the enemy does not he blows them up because that cows and impresses them and so adds to his prestige death and the destroyer the easiest way of finding a minefield is to steam into it on the edge of night for choice with a steep sea running for that brings the bows down like a chopper on the detonating horns some boats have enjoyed this experience and still live there was one destroyer and there may have been others since who came through twenty-four hours of highly compressed life she had an idea that there was a minefield somewhere about and left her companions behind while she explored the weather was dead calm and she walked delicately she saw one scandinavian steamer blow up a couple of miles away rescued the skipper and some hands saw another neutral which she could not reach till all was over skied in another direction and between her life-saving efforts and her natural curiosity got herself as thoroughly mixed up with the field as a camel among tent-ropes a destroyer's bows are very fine and her sides are very straight this causes her to cleave the wave with the minimum of disturbance and this boat had no desire to cleave anything else none the less from time to time she heard a mine grate or tinkle or jar i could not arrive at the precise note it strikes but they say it is unpleasant on her plates sometimes she would be free of them for a long while and began to hope she was clear at other times they were numerous but when at last she seems to have worried out of the danger zone lieutenant and sub together left the bridge for a cup of tea in those days we took mines very seriously you know as they were in act to drink they heard the hateful sound again just outside the wardroom both put their cups down with extreme care little fingers extended we felt as if they might blow up too and tiptoed on deck where they met the forecastle also on tiptoe they pulled themselves together and asked severely what the forecastle thought it was doing beg pardon sir but there's another of those blighters tap tapping alongside our end they all waited and listened to their common coffin being nailed by death himself but the things bumped away at this point they thought it only decent to invite the rescued skipper warm and blanketed in one of their bunks to step up and do any further perishing in the open no thank you said he last time i was blown up in my bunk too that was all right so i think now too i stay in my bunk here it is cold upstairs somehow or other they got out of the mess after all yes we used to take mines awfully seriously in those days one comfort is fritz'll take them seriously when he comes out fritz don't like mines who does i wanted to know if you'd been here a little while ago you'd seen a commander coming in with a big un slung under his counter he brought the beastly thing in to analyze the rest of his squadron followed at two-knot intervals and everything in harbour that had steam up scattered 
the admirable commander presently i had the honour to meet a lieutenant commander admiral who had retired from the service but like others had turned out again at the first flash of the guns and now commands he who had great ships erupting at his least signal a squadron of trawlers for the protection of the dogger bank fleet at present prices let alone the chance of the paying submarine men would fish in much warmer places his flagship is a multi-millionaire's private yacht in her mixture of stark carpetless curtainless carbolized present with voluptuously curved broad-decked easy stairwayed past she might be queen guinevere in the convent at amesbury and her lieutenant commander most careful to pay all due compliments to admirals who were midshipmen when he was a commander leads a congregation of very hard men indeed they do precisely what he tells them to do and with him go through strange experiences because they love him and because his language is volcanic and wonderful what you might call popocatalic i saw the old navy making ready to lead out the new under a grey sky and a falling glass the wisdom and cunning of the old man backed up by the passion and power of the younger breed and the discipline which had been his soul for half a century binding them all what'll he do this time i asked of one who might know he'll cruise between two and three east but if you'll tell me what he won't do it'd be more to the point he's mine-hunting i expect just now wasted material here is a digression suggested by the sight of a man i had known in other scenes dispatch riding round a fleet in a petrol launch there are many of his type yachtsmen of sorts accustomed to take chances who do not hold master certificates and cannot be given sea-going commands like my friend they do general utility often in their own boats this is a waste of good material nobody wants amateur navigators the traffic lanes are none too wide as it is but these gentlemen ought to be distributed among the trawler fleet as strictly combatant officers a trawler skipper may be an excellent seaman but slow with a submarine shelling and diving or in cutting out enemy trawlers the young ones who can master q f work in a very short time would though there might be friction a court-martial or two and probably losses at first pay for their keep even a hundred or so of amateurs more or less controlled by their squadron commanders would make a happy beginning and i am sure they would all be extremely grateful where the east wind is brewed fresh and fresh every morning and the balmy night breeze blows straight from the pole i heard a destroyer sing what an enjoyable life does one lead on the north sea patrol to blow things to bits is our business and fritz's which means there are minefields where'er you stroll unless your particular wish to die quick you'll avoid steering close to the north sea patrol we warn from disaster the mercantile master who takes in high dudgeon our life-saving roll for every one's grousing at docking and dousing the marks and the lights on the north sea patrol twelve verses omitted so swept but surviving half drowned but still driving i watched her head out through the swell of the shoal and i heard her propellers roar right to poor fellers who run such a hell as the north sea patrol chapter two 
the great basins were crammed with craft of kinds never known before on any navy list some were as they were born others had been converted and a multitude have been designed for special cases the navy prepares against all contingencies by land sea and air it was a relief to meet a batch of comprehensible destroyers and to drop again into the little mousetrap wardrooms which are as large-hearted as all our oceans the men one used to know as destroyer lieutenants born stealing are serious commanders and captains to-day but their sons lieutenants in command and lieutenant commanders do follow them the sea in peace is a hard life war only sketches an extra line or two round the young mouths the routine of ships always ready for action is so part of the blood now that no one notices anything except the absence of formality and of the crimes of peace what warrant officers used to say at length is cut down to a grunt what sailormen did not know and expected to have told him does not exist he has done it all too often at sea and ashore i watched a little party working under a leading hand at a job which eighteen months ago would have required a gunner in charge it was comic to see his orders trying to overtake the execution of them ratings coming aboard carried themselves with a to me new swing not swank but consciousness of adequacy the high dark forecastles which thank goodness are only washed twice a week received them and their bags and they turned to on the instant as a man picks up his life at home like the submarine crew they come to be a breed apart double-jointed extra-toed with brazen bowels and no sort of nerves it is the same in the engine-room when the ships come in for their regular looking over those who love them which you would never guess from the language know exactly what they need and get it without fuss everything that steams has her individual peculiarity and the great thing is at overhaul to keep to it and not develop a new one if for example through some trick of her screws not synchronizing a destroyer always casts to port when she goes astern do not let any zealous soul try to make her run true or you will have to learn her helm all over again and it is vital that you should know exactly what your ship is going to do three seconds before she does it similarly with men if any one from lieutenant commander to stoker changes his personal trick or habit even the manner in which he clutches his chin or caresses his nose at a crisis the matter must be carefully considered in this world where each is trustee for his neighbour's life and vastly more important the corporate honour what are the destroyers doing just now i asked oh running about much the same as usual the navy hasn't the least objection to telling one everything that it is doing unfortunately it speaks its own language which is incomprehensible to the civilian but you will find it all in the channel pilot and the riddle of the sands it is a foul coast hairy with currents and rips and mottled with shoals and rocks practically the same men hold on here in the same ships with much the same crews for months and months a most senior officer told me that they were good boys on reflection quite good boys but neither he nor the flags on his chart explained how they managed 
their lightless unmarked navigations through black night blinding rain and the crazy rebounding north sea gales they themselves ascribe it to joss that they have not piled up their ships a hundred times i expect it must be because we're always dodging about over the same ground one gets to smell it we've bumped pretty hard of course but we haven't expended much up to date you never know your luck on patrol though the nature of the beast personally though they have been true friends to me i loathe destroyers and all the raw racking ricocheting life that goes with them the smell of the wet lammies and damp wardroom cushions the galley chimney smoking out the bridge the obstacle-strewn deck and the pervading beastliness of oil grit and greasy iron even at moorings they shiver and sidle like half-backed horses at sea they will neither rise up and fly clear like the hydroplanes nor dive and be done with it like the submarines but imitate the vices of both a scientist of the lower deck describes them as half switchback half water shoot and hell continuous their only merit from a landsman's point of view is that they can crumple themselves up from stem to bridge and i have seen it still get home but one does not breathe these compliments to their commanders other destroyers may be they will point them out to you poisonous bags of tricks but their own command never is she high-bowed that is the only type which overrides the seas instead of smothering is she low low bows glide through the water where those collier-nosed brutes smash it open is she mucked up with submarine catchers they rather improve her trim no other ship has them have they been denied to her thank heaven we go to sea without a fish-curing plant on deck does she roll even for her class she is drier than dreadnoughts is she permanently and infernally wet stiff sir stiff the first requisite of a gun platform service as requisite thus the caesars and their fortunes put out to sea with their subs and their sad-eyed engineers and their long-suffering signallers i do not even know the technical name of the sin which causes a man to be born a destroyer signal in this life and the little yellow shells stuck all about where they can be easiest reached the rest of their acts is written for the information of the proper authorities it reads like a page of todhunter but the masters of merchant ships could tell more of eyeless shapes barely outlined on the foam of their own arrest who shout orders through the thick gloom alongside the strayed and anxious neutral knows them when their searchlights pin him across the deep or their sirens answer the last yelp of his as steam goes out of his torpedoed boilers they stand by to catch and soothe him in his pyjamas at the gangway collect his scattered lifeboats and see a warm drink into him before they turn to hunt the slayer the drifters punching and reeling up and down their ten-mile line of traps the outer trawlers drawing the very teeth of death with water-sodden fingers are grateful for their low guarded signals and when the zeppelin's revealing star-shell cracks darkness open above him the answering crack of the invincible destroyer's guns comforts the busy mine-layers big cruisers talk to them too and what is more they talk back to the cruisers sometimes they draw fire pinkish spurts of light 
a long way off where fritz is trying to coax them over a minefield he has just laid or they steal on fritz in the midst of his job and the horizon rings with barking which the inevitable neutral who saw it all reports as a heavy fleet action in the north sea the sea after dark can be as alive as the woods of summer nights everything is exactly where you don't expect it and the shyest creature are the farthest away from their holes things boom overhead like bitterns or scutter alongside like hares or arise dripping and hissing from below like otters it is the destroyer's business to find out what their business may be through all the long night and to help or hinder accordingly dawn sees them pitch-poling insanely between head-seas or hanging on to bridges that sweep like sighs from one forlorn horizon to the other a homeward-bound submarine chooses this hour to rise very ostentatiously and signals by hand to a lieutenant in command they were the same term at dartmouth and same first ship what's he saying secure that gun will you can't hear oneself speak the gun is a bit noisy on its cone but that isn't the reason for the destroyer lieutenant's short temper says he's going down sir the signaller replies what the submarine had spelt out and everybody knows it was cannot approve of this extremely frightful weather am going to bye-bye well snaps the lieutenant to his signaller what are you grinning at the submarine has hung on to ask if the destroyer will kiss her and whisper good-night a breaking sea smacks her tower in the middle of the insult she closes like an oyster but just too late i bet there must be a quarter of a ton of water somewhere down below on its way to her ticklish batteries what a wag says the signaller dreamily well he can't say he didn't get a little kiss the lieutenant in command smiles the sea is a beast but a just beast racial untruths this is trivial enough but what would you have if admirals will not strike the proper attitudes nor lieutenants emit the appropriate sentiments one is forced back on the truth which is that the men at the heart of great matters in our empire are mostly of an even simplicity from the advertising point of view they are stupid but the breed has always been stupid in this department it may be due as our enemies assert to our racial snobbery or as others hold to a certain god-given lack of imagination which saves us from being over-concerned at the effects of our appearance on others either way it deceives the enemy's people more than any calculated lie when you come to think of it though the english are the worst paperwork and viva voce liars in the world they have been rigorously trained since their early youth to live and act lies for the comfort of the society in which they move and so for their own comfort the result in this war is interesting it is no lie that at the present moment we hold all the seas in the hollow of our hands for that reason we shuffle over them shamefaced and apologetic making arrangements here and flagrant compromises there in order to give substance to the lie that we have dropped fortuitously into this high seat and are looking round the world for some one to resign it to nor is it any lie that had we used the navy's bare fist instead of its gloved hand from the beginning we would in all likelihood have shortened the war 
that being so we elected to dab and peck at and half strangle the enemy to let him go and choke him again it is no lie that we continue on our inexplicable path animated we will try to believe till other proof is given by a cloudy idea of alleviating or mitigating something for somebody not ourselves here of course is where our racial snobbery comes in which makes the german gibber i cannot understand why he has not accused us to our allies of having secret commercial understandings with him for that reason we shall finish the german eagle as the merciful lady killed the chicken it took her the whole afternoon and then you will remember the carcass had to be thrown away meanwhile there is a large and unlovely water inhabited by plain men in severe boats who endure cold exposure wet and monotony almost as heavy as their responsibilities charge them with heroism but that needs heroism indeed accuse them of patriotism they become ribald examine into the records of the miraculous work they have done and they are doing they will assist you but with perfect sincerity they will make as light of the valour and forethought shown as of the ends they have gained for mankind the service takes all work for granted it knew long ago that certain things would have to be done and it did its best to be ready for them when it disappeared over the skyline for manoeuvres it was practising always practising trying its men and stuff and throwing out what could not take the strain that is why when war came only a few names had to be changed and those chiefly for the sake of the body not of the spirit and the seniors who hold the key to our plans and know what will be done if things happen and what links wear thin in the many chains they are of one fibre and speech with the juniors and the lower deck and all the rest who come out of the undemonstrative households ashore here is the situation as it exists now say the seniors this is what we do to meet it look and count and measure and judge for yourself and then you will know it is a safe offer the civilian only sees that the sea is a vast place divided between wisdom and chance he only knows that the uttermost oceans have been swept clear and the trade routes purged one by one even as our armies were being convoyed along them that there was no island nor key left unsearched on any waters that might hide an enemy's craft between the arctic circle and the horn he only knows that less than a day's run to the eastward of where he stands the enemy's fleets have been held for a year and four months in order that civilization may go about its business on all our waters end of part three end of the fringes of the fleet by rudyard kipling